listening to a Kink in the Chain podcast. Welcome to the Kink in the Chain podcast. I'm your host, Rope Squirrel, today joined by the lovely Alpine Lynx. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Anything fun going on with you? Oh, um, well, I get to go to a dungeon tomorrow. That's pretty nice. Oh, that sounds like fun. Maybe I'll see you there. <laughs> Probably. Mm-hmm. And today we are also joined by our guest today, Eco the Wandering Love Mystic. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right overall. I'm happy to be here. Going to a dungeon sounds really nice. It's been a long time since I've actually been to a public dungeon. I miss kinky people and being around them unmasked. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eco the Wandering Love Mystic, uh, is the founder of the Enlightened Consent Foundation, which is a nonprofit causing a global paradigm shift in how humanity relates to sexuality and sexual expression. Their nonprofit provides transformative experiences and supportive resources to kinky, to kinky polyamorous, and LGBT, LGBTQ plus identified people so they get to experience being completely seen, honored, and loved. They are co-creating a world where everyone feels that they belong Eco superpowers working with people who are uncomfortable with the topics of sex and guiding them to a place where they feel they belong, are accepted and loved through Eco's unconditional embracing and of their authentic sexuality. Thank you for being here. I really do appreciate it. You're very welcome, Jake. And it's a pleasure to also be here with Alpine as well. Game to meet for the first time. Yeah, I'm very very happy to meet you as well. Yeah, I, I, I do the scheduling and, and Alpine shows up for the fun. So that's how it goes. <laughs> uh, yes. So out of curiosity, what does a love mystic do? It can work a, a lot of different ways. Um, part of, of the reason why I've adopted the, the, the love mystic title and um, is because for over a decade, in my coaching practice, I've primarily focused on love and relationships and uh, intimacy in various forms with one another. And also within that, what I ultimately do is working with people in delving into what it is that they want and need on a heart and soul level and helping them become congruent with being okay with wanting what their heart wants. and once they have that it becomes much easier matter of uh, gaining communication skills to articulate those wants needs and desires to others so they have the opportunity to experience it uh, so in dealing with um actually people on the heart and soul level uh i have recognized myself as being a a shamanic um healer of sorts uh and Another title that I've used in previous years is Sacred Sexuality Shaman, because I do believe and was taught that anything can be done in a sacred manner, including sexuality. And so I look to help bring that divine connection and connection to one's heart and soul 
two people's sexual play and their love lives. That, that sounds, I don't even know how to describe it. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Thank you. It, um, I, I, I really appreciate the work that you do, that you, sounds like you're doing, and I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, I don't want to sit, not, that your people that you help appreciate it a great deal as well. They do, and uh, I love being able to dive deeply with people into what it is that they want and need. It's unimportant to me what it is that gets people off and what they're into. What is important to me is that they know what they want and need and desire, and that they're actually okay with it. Uh, one of the things that I, I say that I'll do with people is I will delve with you into the, the deepest, darkest parts of your heart and your desires. I will go with you to the, the heights of ecstasy, of the, the greatest joy that you know how to experience, and everywhere in between and all around, ultimately back, taking you back to the center of your heart and soul of who you are. Obviously, you are passionate about consent and working very closely to, with people. Um, what kind of sparked this passion? What got you um, so into it and teaching people about it? Thank you uh, for going and asking. That started about 18 years ago for me when I started doing my own personal growth work um, for the first time in my life. And at that point in my time, I had no idea how relationships worked and I wanted to attract a lover for myself. And I knew I was really good at one thing. I was good at being a student and I, I could go and research and learn. So I, I started out by getting a book uh, called Double Your Dating uh, by David D'Angelo. And in that book, uh, one of the ideas that came forth uh, was that there were women out there that I could approach, that I could go and say, I want to date you, I want to be sexual with you, and I don't want to be exclusive. And there are women out there that would actually be okay with that. Having been born and raised in Minnesota, in a, um, and just seen you know, a heterosexual, vanilla, monogamous lifestyle is the only thing that I actually knew, that was mind-blowing to me at the time, that that was actually possible. And when I, I started to take some of these dating skills that I learned uh, and being able to um, try it out for myself, what I discovered is that if I didn't have a, a mental and emotional connection um, to the, the person I was with, it wasn't fulfilling to me with this interaction. I needed that. So I actually then discovered about polyamory which is um, more about having that um, heart and emotional connection first. And I also discovered that I am a, I'm a demisexual, um, that I, I actually need that more of a mental emotional connection uh, for there to be a really strong sexual desire um, towards someone else. From that, that led me into being able to um, start doing Craigslist dating ads back when that still existed and from that i i led in i led into um i got into an ad that said prometheus was bound for all of eternity 
And the rest of the ad simply said, this girl only wants to be tied up for a single hour. And so I, I wrote her back a message saying how I would bind her for her sins against humanity, how I would go and stoke her fires within her desire. And by the end of the hour, she'd be begging for release, but not from her restraints. It was enough to go and gain her attention to go and write me back since I was able to, you know, show that I could intellectually go and meet her and pique her interest uh, of uh, referring to the Prometheus story that she was referencing. And uh, she ended up being my first submissive. Uh, and I quickly fell into the, the BDSM realm and started out over on the dominant side since she was a, she was a submissive looking for, for someone to go and actually top her. And once again, I figured out I, I didn't really know much about what I was doing at that point uh, and once again going back to I'm a really good student so uh, one of the first books I picked up in the kink realm was um, SM 101 by Jay Wiseman and started to educate myself with that and get connected to the local kink community now after living in the in these lifestyles of polyamory and, and kink for a number of years, I eventually got to a life directions course where I was, uh, we were asked as a group of a question like, what is it that is um, really, what is it that comes easily to you and a few other going questions. And the, the basic things that came up for me for the self-development that I had gotten to was, that I had cultivated a space where um, people who I didn't know that well would more often than not go and start sharing things with me. It's like, you know, I've never told anyone this before, but da 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 da. Or um, they tell me something that was like very kind of intimate and then say, I've never shared anything like that um, with someone before. And so with that, I started to dabble into um, transitioning from what I had been doing uh, into doing a relationship coaching, which what I found is that uh, part of my passion is I love going deeply with people. As I mentioned, going into people's, um, you know, heart and souls, what it is they truly want and truly desire. I figured, hey, if I can get paid for actually doing what I love, isn't that part of the, the dream of what all of us actually want? And it's been an evolution from that point. That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even some of the, like your starting material, I mean, Jay Wiseman is, I, I wouldn't call him one of like the prophets, but he's definitely, uh, he's definitely very influential in the kink community. I've read most of his work. Um, I, I, I hear you're an author too, though, or co-author, right? Yes, uh, I am a uh, two-time international best-selling co-author. Um, the, the first book that I wrote a chapter in was Sexy Secrets to a Juicy Love Life um, back in 2014. And then um, more recently, um, right in the early part of the pandemic, I was part of another book collaboration called Ignite Love. Uh, which were real life stories uh, of um, love and relationships, uh, which was an, a, a, an awesome collaboration. And 
more recently on my YouTube channel, I've actually begun reading chapters from that book and posting them um, to my YouTube channel that, uh, that people can actually go and view. And, and I think I'm streaming them over Facebook Live too. So if you search out Enlightened Consent um, on, on YouTube, you can come across my Ignite Love books uh, or reading through that and hear some of those amazing stories. And each of those stories uh, are written by a different author, have a little bit of a different topic on love, and uh, also have action steps of things you can take to uh, attract more love into your life. Nice. So with your program, what makes it unique? What makes Enlightened Consent the, the thing it is? Excellent question. With Enlightened Consent, one of the main things that I go and um, work with on my clients is the idea that as long as you and the people that are directly involved are consenting and you're honoring your existing relationship agreements, because uh, we do include ethical non-monogamy and you may have multiple partners that you already have existing agreements with, as long as, that, uh, as, long as those involved are consenting and you have uh, honoring those existing relationship agreements it does not matter what anyone else outside of that thinks or feels about what you're doing but part of my mission that i have made a promise to the divine that i am dedicating this lifetime of bringing forth this message of enlightened consent to the world and i'm committed to um causing this paradigm shift in how humanity relates to sexuality and sexual expression. Part of my vision of what that ultimately looks like long-term, and it'll probably go far beyond this physical lifetime for me, is to have it actually be okay for people to, to have open, honest conversations about their sexual desires and needs and wants, just as easily as people talk about the sports or, or weather. That's one of the things that when I first came across the kink realm 18 years ago that really drew me into it is the idea that before any play happens that you have an open, honest conversation about these are what my turn-ons are, these are what I'm curious about, and here are my hard limits, the things that are just going to piss me off, so we're not even going to do that. And I thought, how much simpler would dating life be in general if we could just have an open, honest conversation like that right near the beginning when we're first going to date someone. And with that, um, the first initiative that I have, the, the one who wrote me the, the, the Prometheus story, uh, on our first date, at the end of the first date, I did end up going home with her, um, which was a surprise to both me and her <laughs> at the time, because it wasn't quite as expected. We may get into the, the story of that, because that, that's a fun little King story as well. Uh, but at the, at the end of it, um, she actually printed me out a little trifold pamphlet, one page, that literally had her turn-ons, her curiosities, and, and her heart limits. And she told me that a former dominant of hers had made her write out that document for herself. And she said it was both one of the, the hardest things that she had ever done for her, and also one of the most freeing and liberating things that that she'd ever done for herself also. Yeah, I definitely know um, a lot of kinksters, including myself, who, who use that, like writing out a document with your curiosities, your wants, your hard limits, 
as a tool uh, for communicating with themselves and their partners. So that's pretty neat. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was really excited to be like, here is literally a, a, a pamphlet of how my body works and how my mind works here. It's like, <laughs> awesome, thank you. Um, yeah, especially especially for me, like sometimes communicating like in the moment out loud, it takes a minute to get my words together, like trying to say it the right way. So having things written down can be very helpful. So you've mentioned working with uh, different clients. Do you have anyone that stands out as like your biggest success story? Uh, yes, one, a couple of clients come to mind. Uh, one in particular was uh, one that I, I did several sessions with and in any kind of um, therapeutic or coaching work, the, the usually the longer lasting, more permanent changes happens with working over time than just trying to get everything in a single session. Just like how in a DS dynamic, it develops over time. You just don't have just one scene and only one scene being like, have a full-blown relationship, you know, buy that from it. So with this uh, particular client, uh, his, his place of where he was coming from, and it, it may actually be useful. I, I love reading this this testimonial um, from him. So before asking for help, I was in one of the worst depressive states of my life. Being an empath, I allowed myself to take other thoughts, feelings, and emotions on as my own. Add, add to this, it was a smack in the middle of COVID and social unrest to boot. I'd started on a journey to heal and I knew this was going to be some of the hardest work that I'd ever done. Bar none, I took on medi meditation, uh, shadow work, asking myself what works and doesn't work for me. It wasn't until I found that last and most uh, important missing piece in eco that I didn't realize I was missing to start bringing it all together. Uh, they helped me with that deeper inner work that is so difficult, if not impossible, to do on one's own. Uh, with their knowledge of guided techniques, communication, love, understanding, and awareness, and let's not forget safety and protection of my needs. I now have been able to not just love myself, also to be in love with myself for the first time in my entire life. My confidence is through the roof without having an ego. I understand my wants, needs, and desires better than ever. I know who I am on an intimate level better than I ever could have thought possible. My anxiety is gone. My depression isn't a thing. Dark thoughts don't control me or on my days anymore. My inner child is freer and no longer scared to play, laugh, and sing. It's an amazing feeling to be able to control these dark things as opposed to allowing them to control me. That's, yeah. That's a very powerful statement. Mm-hmm. You definitely, uh, definitely got a satisfied customer there. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Client. Yeah, it's... Um, I am very grateful that a, a sales mentor of mine taught me the idea of having a, a raving book of fans and being able to collect testimonials and having them in a document. So I, uh, when I asked for that testimonial, and I was blown away by, by everything that he had said and being like, can I use this suite? And be like, yes, of course. And like, this is beautiful and awesome. <laughs> 
So in that same vein, what has been your like most challenging case, your most challenging pers uh, group to deal with, or has there been someone you're just like either oh, I can't help you or oh my god I helped you? <laughs> I will say um, one of the, the things that is most important in this work is being able to take responsibility um, for yourself and your life as it is. And um, one of the things that I advocate for and teach people is the idea that I myself am 100% responsible for everything that I have and don't have in my life through the choices that I've made of what I've said and haven't said, what I've done and haven't done, and the impacts uh, of those uh, decisions. And I'm also 100% responsible for the emotions uh, that come up with me. Within that, um, that can be a bitter pill to swallow at times. And it is different from saying I'm responsible from saying that I'm at blame or at fault. So uh, when it comes to things that people have experienced in their trauma, um, whether that be um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, emotional abuse from other people, that is a, a different level of conversation. I'm not saying that those people, they're neither deserving nor at fault for what happened. And it can be challenging sometimes to work with a person if they're stuck in that victim mentality of that this is life happening to me. I don't have any control. I'm... I'm just having these things happen to me. Uh, so I would say the most challenging clients are those who have yet to get to that point of actually choosing to take control in their life. It, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess the, the first, one of the first steps is asked is knowing that you need to get the help and then be willing to follow through with that help. Because as, as the old joke goes, you shouldn't lie to your therapist, your, uh, or your IT person. That's what, that's always what I say because, uh, oh yeah, no, I know that you got on porn websites and infected your computer. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's right there in your history. Don't try to, don't try to deny it. <laughs> Just tell me. <laughs> so I don't go hunting for something. I, I worked in IT for six years. So yeah, that, that resonates with me as well. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Be honest with your therapist and more importantly, be honest with yourself. And uh, one of the things that I've learned in my own uh, personal growth, uh, personal growth journey, and one of the things that resonated with me uh, from Landmark in particular, uh, is the idea is that human beings are inauthentic and we're inauthentic about being inauthentic. Because in people looking at themselves, that they generally see themselves as the heroes of their own story, that they're never the bad guy, that you know they're trying to do the right thing. And for the most part, I, I love to give people for the benefit of the doubt. And there are things that um, we hide from ourselves. There are things that we don't allow ourselves to admit, or if things don't fit into the the way that the mind looks at things and how we perceive the world the brain will literally blot out memories of things that don't actually 
mesh with how we view the world works because it doesn't make sense. And that is part of, of the psychology and um, just for how things work in the human body because there's so much input to the brain has to go and filter things. And so often we, we just look at things uh, and we don't actually interact with reality how it actually is. Most often we just interact with reality with how we perceive it to be. What is one thing you wish more people knew about um, when it comes to what you do? I wish they knew I existed. <laughs> I, I, I'm still one of the, the best kept hidden, hidden secrets and um, I am looking to, to get out there uh, in a much larger way. And, and with that, um, part of the, the wandering title of the Wandering Love Mystic, which I adopted back in September, uh, is the idea of me being able to travel from place to place to place, um, sharing the, the these messages of enlightened consent and uh, consensual sexuality. And uh, I'm still forming my networks of being able to have those places to, to go to and travel between. And so, yeah, I, I wish that they knew about me and uh, would would actually uh, be a part of what it is that I'm doing because I'm also looking through my nonprofit to partner with many other sex educators, relationship coaches, and tantra teachers and help give them platforms uh, where they can go and speak their particular taken message uh, because causing this paradigm shift in humanity of how we relate to sex and sexuality is gonna take far more than just me. For sure. There's a lot of organizations out there. I mean, you've got like the uh, NCSF. Um, there's, and hopefully, I mean, we can, you know, we can amplify your voice just a little bit through this too. So, you know, maybe. Uh, part of the reason why I'm here and why, why I go and speak on podcasts is to help get my message and voice out there. And I am honored uh, that, um, so th that is part of the reason that I'm so grateful to be here on this podcast of, of Kink in the Chain and that both you, Rope Squirrel and Alpine were, were yes to having me here on, on your show. So thank you very much for having me. And we're glad to have you. I've really enjoyed hearing uh, about your experiences and everything you have to say. Oh, thank you. So speaking of experiences, uh, mm -hmm. What experience do you have with the kink community? I know you said you had a submissive at, at one point. Um, anything lately or, or memorable? Oh, sure. Um, well, let's see. There... Where to go and start with that? So, yes, there have been 18 years worth of, of experiences, all uh, mostly with me being on the, the dominant side. Um, Let's see, with the, the first submissive uh, that got me into being connected to the, into the local munch, and for those who may be listening, may not know what a munch is. It's a, a place where, where people come together who have um, similar interests, um, usually in the, the kink realm, to get to know each other in a low-pressure environment where sex is not on the table, to to get together um, with one another and get to know each other as people. 
So I, I joined the local Munch group, and as I was utilizing what I was learning um, from uh, from the the actual uh, from the the double year dating and the and uh, the other research I was doing into dating, sex, and attraction that I was dug into at the time. I ended up um, hooking up and having very civil relationships with uh, at least half uh, of that munch group. <laughs> and um, I was going to Chico State at, at the time. Uh, and it was a small enough population that there was only one kink group um, at the time. So regardless of what you were into in kink, there was just the one munch group uh, to go into. They actually created a rule <laughs> Um, for the group because of me uh, uh, and the, the rule was if a new person came into the group you had to wait um, for at least for them to attend at least three meetings before you're allowed to actually hit on them be like <laughs> okay I, I can understand that and appreciate that um, through that I, I met a woman who became um, my first longer term uh, submissive and uh, that was uh, the first one I ended up going moving in, and, and uh, I learned a lot um, from that of what it was actually like to live with someone who you were in a ADS relationship with. Um, eventually, I ended up moving down to the San Francisco Bay Area, where there's a much more diverse area of kink uh, that happens, and there are so many different kinksters that they're able to easily specialize into. You know, if you're just into one kind of play, like puppy play, for example, which I know we'll we'll talk into the, the top of conduct, um, or if you're um, just into um, one particular gender, you know, there are so many different diversities uh, in the in the Greater Bay Area, and so many more people that you can afford to actually have larger groups. Uh, after moving down into the Bay Area, I actually started to attend the East Bay Trinity Munch. And um, when the owner of that was stepping away, I actually volunteered to start running the Munch myself. And so uh, I took over running the East Bay Trinity Munch and that for about five or seven years. Um, and I loved it while, while that still went on. Uh, during that period of time in the Bay Area, I also got together with uh, the woman who's now my ex-wife, and we begun to actually throw play parties and host events um, at our at our place. Uh, some were general kink events, others were movie nights, and um, we even uh, tried out having a tickle party where we separate people into those who were the ticklers who wanted to go and tickle others and ticklees, the ones who wanted to be tickled. Fun. And uh, after my relationship with her ended, uh, the next DS relationship uh, that I had was uh, with a woman who became my college submissive for about four years. And uh, we actually had a, a full collaring ceremony because uh, I, I do make differentiations between there being like temporary collars, play collars that you do just for scene versus something of a, of a permanent collar that you wear 24 seven. And personally for me, that kind of more permanent collaring, I 
take as serious as making wedding vows and a, a serious kind of deep commitment. Uh, so with that, uh, that was a beautiful relationship um, while that was that, and uh, part of what ended the DS relationship and uh, really shifted our dynamics was it, it got to a point where she told me she felt that she could not um, say no to me, that she wasn't allowed to say no. And it, it was part of part of something that we agreed to early on in our DS dynamics was this idea of that I could go and have my way with her anywhere and any time, which in the beginning was fun and exciting for her. And um, with that though, um, there's still an importance of being able to come together as equals, being able to use your safe words, being able to go and say no is so important. And so when she actually came to me and she said that after one of those particular outings that she really felt that she couldn't go and say no and she felt practically raped by me one particular night, that broke my heart. Because I never want any person who I'm looking to have pleasure and fun with in a good time to actually feel that way. No person, regardless of what, you're, what body you're born into, no human being deserves to to feel like they're practically raped. Uh, and uh, so with that, uh, there are some drastic changes that need to go and happen. Um, it was an unpleasant breakup because she was really, really attached to being my submissive. And uh, yeah, just going through taking off of her collar was uh, devastating to both her and I. <sighs> Since then, both she and I have done personal growth work. We were able to go and resolve and talk through and rework what it is that actually happened. Um, she is still a, an occasional lover of mine. And uh, though we are, are more of the secondaries and we have much more healthier dynamics now than what we did when we were in that place where she was unable to, to actually felt that she couldn't say no. And she's much better actually being able to say no and state her boundaries. I'm very, very proud of her for that work. And that work is is very important. Um, knowing what your boundaries, knowing what your limits are and being able to state those boundaries. Um, one of the things that I also advocate for and bring forth the idea is like, until I hear you being able to tell me no, I, I don't know for certain that I can fully trust your yes. And being able to trust someone's yes and no is crucial for a healthy relationship dynamic and even more so in the kink community. Being able to engage in these activities and knowing that something is, is truly consensual, including doing consensual non-consent play, which is why you have safe words and being able to scream out, no, don't stop and still be able to continue on because you've negotiated that if you really want things to go and stop, you're going to say red or pineapple or whatever the negotiated term is. Um, one of my other uh, DS relationships I happened uh, after that point of my my card submissive ending was uh, getting involved with a woman 
who um, was polyamorous, her husband, uh, she had some memory challenges at the time and she knew, uh, and uh, her husband reassured me that she knew what she was consenting to and she knew what she didn't guess to. It was um, a, a very hot connection in the beginning. And uh, from like the first day that I met her, <laughs> Um, she was literally saying like, hey, will you come, come actually um, come to where I live, come up to Washington State uh, when I was down in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. And she consistently like made that offer for like a year and a half. And um, I had I, been resistant to it for a number of things and a number of reasons uh, until I went to another personal growth course and got this distinction that um, my being my word and following through in what I say I'm going to do is completely separate from the realm of my excuses, reasons, or justifications. And one of the things that I have been asking the universe for for years was I wanted to be in a kink positive, sex positive, polyamorous positive, um, pagan positive home. And it dawned on me in that course that oh this household that my my girlfriend my lover had been living in and invited me to to come and be there for like uh, over a year and a half was exactly that kind of household all i needed was just say yes and so when i when i actually went on the next break i immediately called her husband and expressed interest of what would it take for me to move in there and his first response was i've been waiting for this phone call I've been figuring it was a, a matter of when, not a matter of if you're going to ask about moving in. And uh, eventually I did go and um, move up there, uh, which that was in um, February of 2019. And it was in April of that year that my lover got officially diagnosed with, um, with uh, early onset Alzheimer's. And so it, it, as she and I both had a sexual relationship and a BS relationship that was established, she was my submissive, um, and that it really threw me into a question and a quandary of like, where does consent lie when there's iffy memory issues? And I got to really wrestle and grapple with that. And uh, I got to grapple with it both personally and also seek out the advice and perspective of other um, relationships and sex experts. Where I eventually landed was that for myself and what felt right to me is that I felt that as long as it was reasonable that she seemed to be coherent, aware, and understanding what was going on, that it was okay to continue the, the sexual and BS relationship. Once it actually got to the point where she came to me one day and she actually told me straight out that she could not be reasonably relied upon to remember what it is that uh, she agreed to um, last week or yesterday or even five minutes ago, that was the, the, the flag and signaling to me that I could not in good conscience continue the the DS relationship or the, the sexual relationship with her and chose to complete that, uh, complete that relationship and um, have it be non-sexual and no longer have the, the DS dynamic. 
Wow. That's... Thank you for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. It's been... Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I'm kind of like... Uh, that's a lot of stuff. <sighs> yeah, I, I get that can be kind of heavy. So I invite you to take a deep breath with me. Let out with a sound so reverberates in the chest. Uh, and uh, on the on the physical level, when you let out a breath so it reverberates in the chest, making that sound, it simulates what's known as the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve helps the brain go from um, fight, flight, or freeze into the rest and digest. So things like what I've been sharing may bring up a lot of feelings and activating for people so he invites just uh, taking that breath releasing it and having you come back to being here in the present now so just to give you an opportunity to kind of self-promote where can we go to find out more about you websites youtube channels that kind mm -hmm. of stuff sure uh so so first off, the easiest way to go and find me is uh, my own one-on-one um, -on -one personal coaching website, which is enlightenedconsent.net. Uh, then I also have my nonprofits website, which is enlightenedconsent.org. Uh, Let's see. Uh, you can go and search me out uh, on on YouTube. Uh, I'm I'm also on TikTok. Uh, I do videos there on occasion. I'd love to be able to actually uh, get up to a thousand followers, so I can um, so I can actually start doing lives on TikTok because those are fun. Uh, on you can find me also on Facebook uh, if you search for Eco Ico Edward Fish F I S H like the kind that swims, or uh, you can come across my group uh, by searching for Enlightened Consent. Uh, on on FetLife, there is enlightened consent because the the character limit uh, <laughs> would not allow for the full enlightened consent. So so drop the ed. Uh, so it's just enlightened consent on FetLife. Um, Twitter, which I don't use that often, uh, I had to make even shorter. I had to do a capital N lighten uh consent for that those cover most of the, the, the social media ways but uh, the, the easiest thing is definitely uh the website of enlightenedconsent.net uh where if you want to make a donation um to the nonprofit, there is a, a donate button on there and also uh as a person who who does um who works in the mystical realms I also have an offering for a 30-minute free Love Life Tarot reading that you can get from me by going to my website there. Yeah, we'll be sure to link to that from the episode. So listeners, if you look in the show notes for this particular episode, the description, you will see links to all those websites. Uh, so yeah, ch check out Eco on all the platforms that they have. So. So, Eco, do you have a little bit of time to talk about some current events? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Let's talk current. 
Yeah, now that we've uh, we've now that we now that we've delved into my deep dark past that I've you know shared with you, and yeah, that can be some heavy stuff. It's from that heavy stuff that I find that I'm able to legitimately go to heavy deep dark places with other people and hold them in tender love and compassion in my heart. Well then, let's talk about some current events. Yes. So this popped up on my feed the other day, and admittedly it popped up uh, in a negative context at first, but to me I was like, well, what's wrong with that? that that's perfectly fine by me. Um, so uh, Joe Biden just appointed, you know, it, it shows up in the news. If presidents appoint so many different positions, and most of the time it's just a footnote, like, ah, oh, whatever, this some guy that donated to some campaign got promoted, doesn't matter which side is, it's on. But this particular individual caught my eye, especially because of the, I don't want to say the shade he was getting, but it was definitely, there, there was some negativity on it. And again, I'm very happy about this. So Sam Britton was appointed to the uh, the nuclear waste post, so, you know, m most prestigious position on the planet, right? Everybody strives for that. Kids, kids say that when they're growing up in school. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be the nuclear waste person in the government. But what was interesting is Sam Britton is openly very much a pup handler, which I think is just cute. And it they were trying to throw shade at him, like to be like, oh, he's he he does kink, so he's not qualified. And it's like, no, he's apparently qualified, but he just does this on the side. But I thought it was amazing. What did you two think? I, I think it's great. Um, I think the way they uh, titled the article was little little um cheeky cheeky, a little <laughs> bit cheeky maybe a little bit like throwing shade like you called it um like i don't know but the article does make it clear that he is very much well qualified for the position so i just think it's fun i mean i'm it's good to see somebody who's like actively and openly kinky still getting important governmental positions like this guy's obviously an activist and not afraid of sharing that part of his life publicly which cannot be said for a lot of i assume other politicians slash government agency people yeah i think my chances of being president are pretty thro much thrown down the toilet at this point because that's going to be the first uh <laughs> article imagine, imagine the counter ads they'd be yeah, rope, rope squirrel ties up women. Okay. Rope, rope yeah. squirrel does chastity. Ooh, is he going to chastise our nation? <laughs> like, I don't know. Something like that. What do you think of it, Eco? You know, I was actually tickled pink when you brought this article to my, to my attention. And uh, I looked into other articles, uh, a lot of it also from the more conservative side of the media will say that is looking to, to throw shade or, or say how, how horrible um, this thing is. And I think that is awesome that we're getting to a point where people can be more open and honest uh, about what it is that they actually, who they are and what their, their desires are. And yeah, you, you get to have whatever privacy level settings that you want of how open that you want to go and be. Uh, there's in the King community, the, the whole thing about being outed non-consensually, 
um, to the public. And when you're promoted to a, a, a higher level of public notoriety, whether that be a, a celebrity of some sort or being elected or appointed to a government position, some of the things may come up that you're going to be outed. Like from my understanding, it, it, it started out uh, this story just from a uh, from a tweet uh, that grew out of TikTok um, saying that uh, Sam Britton was a drag queen and LGBTQ plus activist who was just hired on in, in the top level position at the DOE. And the, the photo that is with that is with him as a handler with a, a few other uh, uh, pups of those who are taking the, the roles of, of being puppies. And it's like, okay, so you're actually trying to go and throw shade and uh, saying about being a drag queen, LGBTQ+, yet you don't even mention the, the puppy play in that, and you actually instead talk about the LGBTQ+, thing, yet you show the, the puppy play and people are latched on to the puppy play kind of thing. It's like one of the mistakes that, that I first made when uh, um, I got into the kink realm is that I conflated the ideas of LGBTQ plus and the kink community and ethical non-monogamy slash polyamory. What I learned the hard way for myself was that they are three distinct animals for themselves. Those of us in the kink community have our own social rules, expectations, and culture the um, people who are in ethical non-monogamy and polyamory have a, a separate nomenclature and culture to them. Uh, and the LGBTQ plus community has its own culture uh, that, that is longstanding. And while there is some overlap between three, they are separate and distinct from one another. I especially like the, the opening line, um, the Biden administration's new top dog at the key energy agency is an MIT-trained engineer whose sexual fetishes include tying up his partner while he eats dinner and watches Star Trek. It's like, okay, you know, that's that's fair. Uh, I may not have the MIT-trained part, but the rest of it is fine for, it could describe me. And I dress as a giant squirrel, so, you know, it's it's great. It's it's what I do. Yeah. I'm not just rope squirrel in, in, in a pseudonym. I... <laughs> Yeah. And I I have a furry side myself, and um, puppy play is a form of of fur of the furry kind of community, which is a subsect of BDSM. I personally have a white tiger side, um, and also a, a playful white tiger cub side as well. So yes, I'm I'm familiar with with the furries. I love furries. <sighs> It, it, it kind of it kind of reminds me of a uh, I I went to a precious play party um, I I think it was up in Seattle uh, there was a a fucking precious play party that combined littles and furries into the same play party <laughs> it was an interesting mix I've seen that mix before it's always kind of fun yeah. I mean, Frolicon's in only in a few weeks, and that's very much what that's all about. So that's 
that's in Atlanta, so that's that's coming up pretty soon. But it's also a mixture of a kink convention, a sci-fi convention, and uh, and a furry convention all in one big, big mess. So it sounds sounds lovely. Yeah, it sounds like a lovely time. And I found in my own experience, those in the kink community, like ourselves, are usually highly intelligent and uh, often have a geeky, nerdy side and and like things like uh, like Star Trek or Lord of the Rings and. And fantasy or, or dungeons and dragons all of which i'm into as well <laughs> i'll out myself as a is a geeky nerdy kingster so i i think that the the lesson we learned from this particular article in general is just the fact that all hope is not lost if you want to get into politics so alpine you know if you want to run for governor you know or whatever it's it's not uh, oh yeah yeah it's not too late although you're less out than i am so hmm. I mean, as I I, the, I think just the non-binary polyamorous part will will freak people up enough. So, yeah, and I, I don't know if I'll ever get into politics. But um, you know, once again, looking to cause a paradigm shift in how humanity relates to sexual and sexual expression, it's probably going to come up with in some part of the, of the nonprofit and those within the organization are probably going to work on making some shifts in in acceptability with that. Uh, part of me with with my own life is I look to be an example to the world of what is possible um, in all the different ways I identify being queer, gender fluid, a kinky switch, polyamorous, pansexual. I, I walk all the sexual lines, um, and once again, I, I'm looking to go and help it be okay to actually be out loud and proud about this um, kind of thing. And it is much more acceptable now than what it was like back in the the 50s, for example, to to be to be gay or lesbian or, or queer and on the LGBTQ plus. And I look forward to when people can be just as out and proud about um being kinky or being um in ethical open relationships okay yeah all right so eco do you have some time to answer some viewer questions with us absolutely i love going and helping answer people's questions and helping them learn more about what they're interested in all right um, so our first question comes to us from Blake from Wisconsin, and they write, oh, well, no, they write that they're a male dominant. So, and he writes, uh, negotiations are hard. As a relative newcomer to BDSM, I'm always worried that I'll forget something. And even if it isn't my intent, I would break someone's consent and be roasted in open kinky court. I like that. Uh, do you have any tips for me? For context, I'm a male dominant. So I guess somebody who doesn't want to make mistakes while negotiating right so i really get uh blake's heart and not wanting to go and do any harm and looking to go and hold consent which is really important so first off i, I want you to know that there is uh there is no uh kinky court that, that is going to like you know beat you up and, and make you horrible and wrong if you make a mistake and the longer that you're in this lifestyle mistakes will happen and 
especially if you're newer uh, in this and not practice in these negotiations, because uh, a lot of it, we, you know, none of us are born knowing how to do these kind of negotiations and have these open, honest conversations. There are going to be things that get left out. There are going to be things that are that are missed. And come from, uh, I would invite you to come from a place where you're looking to do the best you can and looking to believe that the person who you're negotiating with is also being honest and upfront as uh, we discussed uh, otherwise in this episode of how important that trust and honesty actually is and being able to rely upon someone of uh, being clear of what they've negotiated and what they've said yes to and what their limits are. Sometimes things will go and come up uh, along, along the way things that neither of you predicted they're they're known as triggers and if either you or the other person uh gets triggered that's okay uh, what matters more is how you handle that trigger and how you handle that reaction and when a trigger comes up it's probably best if you call red and stop the scene uh and and go into that uh and go into the aftercare portion uh, that goes into a deeper discussion. The other thing that I will say, uh, which is a good practice in general uh, with someone who you've not played with before or still getting to know, and especially as a newer um, newer dominant, is to have more often, more frequent check-ins. Negotiation is not something that just happens in the beginning before any play happens. There is also being able to check in mid scene and during the scene and i've even uh done done check-ins as like uh as part of the aftercare being like hey how was that for you did any boundaries um feel like they're getting pressed upon or or how was the scene for you so being able to actually have that open honest dialogue and that conversation throughout what's going on is one of the biggest things and as long as you're coming from a place of of curiosity and being able to actually be with with what is so i think you're going to to be okay yeah i think definitely in a similar vein um mistakes happen accidents happen um i've i've been in a scene where my consent has been accidentally broken and you're not going to be immediately ostracized from your community because of it. It's as long as you have gone into it with like best intentions um, and you own up and learn from the mistakes you make, uh, I think you're gonna be okay and you're gonna learn and become a better dominant for it. Uh, so that in the future you make less mistakes, so. Yeah, exactly Alpine. I've. I've been around for a while. I've made my share of mistakes and from somebody not actually knowing safe words when I thought they were in the community for a very long time. So I didn't bother asking about that. Now I do for every scene because when my smarmy top comes by and says, uh, what color is a fire truck? And, and the person I'm playing with says, well, it's red. And then she jokingly goes, oh, well, I guess we had to stop the scene now. Ha, ha, ha. And then my bottom looks at me like, what does red mean? Like, oh, dear God, I thought you knew. So now I ask every single time, like, you know safe words, right? Yeah, I know. Okay, what are they? 
red, yellow, green. Okay, good. We're good. We can we can do things now. Uh, things like that. So yeah, you you, you learn from your mistakes. Um, to avoid getting roasted in open kinky court, I hate to say this, but at least at the start, document everything that that you're ideally through either text messages, fat life. I hate it. I hate that we have to do that, but you know, if if somebody comes back at you and says, "Well, I didn't agree to this," and you can kind of go, well, "Yeah, you did. It's right here in the text. You wrote it." You want, oh well, then it's just a misunderstanding, and people a lot more, I guess, understanding of it. But yeah, just be be cautious. Document everything at the start, and be willing to learn from your mistakes. Don't be a don't be a stubborn dominant or prideful or whatever. Just learn what learn what you got to do, and and don't make that mistake again. Simple as that. The other thing I'll say around that that comes up for me is that. Uh, don't expect to immediately go to one-on-one um, play behind closed doors. That, that does go on and happen, though when I first got into lifestyle, what was recommended to me, and this is perhaps a little bit more challenging, you know, as we're still going through a pandemic at this point, but it, it's going to the public open munches first, where people can get to get to know you, like you, and trust you. Uh, in a, a non-play setting, then being able to go to the the public dungeons, uh, like uh, like I don't know what area that you are, or what is available in Wisconsin. I'm not familiar with that particular area. There are are public dungeons, um, uh, places that, that people can can go to to actually. Uh, begin knowing and seeing how each other go and play and watching other people go and play, which also deepens that trust factor. It's a common thing before you actually play with someone to actually vet them. And vetting can be part of your process. Being like asking other people that you know, like, hey, have you seen this person play before? What is it that they, what they're like, what they're into? And um, you can, there are reputations that some people go and, go and have. Uh, once you are more is known in the in the public arenas, uh, and if that reputation goes well, you're more likely to get invited to the the more private play parties. And once you have a, a certain level of, of trust, uh, being able to actually trust that things it, it's much more likely that things will go well uh, because you already have met each other and kind of known each other in these more public spaces that um, you'll have things go well when you choose to go and get to the, the private one-on-one with no one else around and being your word versus their word if something happens. I agree. Uh, yeah, just in general, a good safety measure is, especially if you're playing for the first time with a new person, is play in public. That's you're going to have a little bit of a safety net there. Yeah. And, and using like a written checklist um, definitely helps. Do you, want right. to Do you want to move on to the next question? Blake, I hope that works for you. Uh, if you do have any other follow-up, we'd love to hear you. Again, that email is, or if you have your own questions, that email is podcast at kinkinthechain.com. We're happy to take your questions. So this question is from Tony from New York. And so 
more of a curiosity than a question, but for rope squirrel, Ritz cracker, and or alpine lynx, what was the first scene you ever did? Did that influence your later scenes? Was it even something you still do to this day? So the first scene I ever did was at my local dungeon. I'd been attending for a, a few months, um, just kind of getting to know people. And they had like basically a, like a find a play partner night where you played like ice breaking games and met people and talked to people and talked about what you're interested in. Uh, and I actually ended up doing a tickling scene uh, with a, a woman I met there. Um, and it was very, you know, we negotiated beforehand just tickling where on my body she could tickle, where she could touch me, what safe words were. Um, and it was honestly like just a really fun kind of lighthearted scene. Uh, and I'm still very much into tickling to this day. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of relieved. I, I was secretly worried that I was your first scene ever. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you weren't. Because I was introduced to Alpine one night when I, um, they were scheduled to do something with someone else. And that person said they were having issues that night and said, can you do something with them? Basically threw them at me. Uh, and I was like, um, okay, I don't even know your name. Um, what are you into? I wasn't even planning on playing tonight, but okay, whatever. It, it works works fine. I, I don't want to disappoint my one of my best friends. So, you know. <laughs> that indicates to me that, that there is a certain low amount of trust and rapport that was already established. Because in general, the, that doesn't happen in the kink realm of like, I am was planning on playing with this person here. Let me hand them off to you, and you've never met before. That that generally does not happen. No. Now I, the, I knew of uh, Rope Squirrel uh, beforehand. He he used to run the local TNG, so like I'd met him, I'd seen him play. I I had like an idea of him. <laughs> Thought he was a pretty nice guy. So, oh, like that? I'm good with this. Let's let's try this out. <laughs> My first scene wasn't as happy, I suppose, but it was fine. I, I think I've mentioned this a few times in other shows, and I won't go into tremendous detail about it, but I met a top, we went to a dungeon, I did not negotiate by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I should have, but I was too new, I didn't know anything. Um, now, I'm not upset about that night, nothing serious happened. I'm, I, I, the worst I had was a massive bruise on the side of my leg. But at the time, I didn't know any better. I just thought, this is what I need to do. I need to just go stand on this cross, and they mm -hmm. get to do whatever they want. Should mm -hmm. they? We have negotiated. Absolutely. And if, if anybody else, if I'm doing it with anybody else, of course, we negotiate. We figure everything out. Uh, I don't recommend that be your introduction to the kink community. I think, as I, as I jokingly say, I think I turned out okay. But in the end, it was not. The best thing do i still do it to this day yes in fact i've uh, somewhat taken on the moniker at my local club as i'm trying to sub to as many people as i possibly can even though i'm a switch at this point but i am trying to do as much subbing and i am sort of becoming the first sub to a lot of people who are just getting into topping so it's been kind of fun to be people's first thing because if they if there's a problem or they aren't doing something correct well i don't want to say correctly but if there's something that they could be improved upon I'm not going to run them through the, the kinky court. I'm going to tell them honestly what 
needs to change and so that they can perfect their technique on me and then move on to somebody else. So I'm very happy about that. Well, Tony, I, I hope, uh, thanks for, thanks for asking the question or curiosity, I guess, as you wrote, I, I hope, Hopefully you learned a little bit more about Alpine and I. And so, uh, yeah, uh, listeners, if you ever remember, if you ever want to ask uh, question, any kind of questions, again, podcast at kinkinthechain.com. We're more than happy to answer just about anything. Some of you people are weird and put weird stuff in my mailbox, but I love you anyway, so it's fine. No, no kink shaming here? No kink shaming, just uh, kink questioning. It's like, hey, we won't shame you. We just may not talk about it. I want I want video. Picture <laughs> it didn't happen. Exactly. Our final question comes to us from Canaan in Louisiana, and uh, so he as well. He writes, "I'm I've always had a problem playing with males as a male myself. It's something I want to try, but call it societal conditioning or dare I say hom uh, homophobia. I just cannot bring myself to enjoy scenes when I try." I see so many of what I assume are straight identifying male tops, and they seem to have no issues with this. How can I get over this? I don't want to be discriminatory. So do you want to go first? Sure. I'll go first with it. And I will share of my own uh, experiences with that, uh, which I, I've had my own struggles in playing with the the male masculine body. Uh, I haven't been born into a male masculine body myself. Uh, I was in college uh, and I got, uh, I was living with a, a roommate and he had a, a, a bisexual, very flaming flamboyant, um, literally firefighter uh, friend of his. And um, so one night um, my roommate uh, who who also had a fiance, his fiance was out of town. So it was kind of a, a guy's night kind of thing. It was the, the three of us, we we're around the kitchen table having some drinks and the, the, the firefighter, his name is Scotty. Um, Scotty was like, can I see your cock? Can, can, can I see your cock please? And just was, he, he was kind of a pushy around it. And I, I was like initially resistant to him being like, no, not really comfortable with it. Uh, eventually I relented, went into the bathroom with him, showed him my cock and was like, and he was like, wow, that's a beautiful cock. Can I go and suck it? And I was like, no, no, not at that point. So he, he was very polite, at least respectful to that point of that boundary. Um, a little bit later into the night, uh, Scotty and my roommate um, started to go and uh, make out with, with, with one another, which uh it was interesting to go and see and i remember uh them going and grabbing the bottle of olive oil and using that to literally massage each other and rub over other each other's bodies at one point uh my roommate actually more kind of forcefully grabbed me to pull me into the mix and um i more or less got drug into to the bedroom and um with that ended up in my first threesome uh experience which was also my first homosexual experience and something that sticks out of me uh from my mind was that uh at the time i had never um done anything with uh with other males and 
um, my roommate who was much more forceful uh, was like, suck on my cock. And I was hesitant and he was like, okay, lick the side of your arm. I did. And, you know, lick the side of my cock. So I, so I did. And like skin, skin, suck it. Didn't really feel that good for me, but uh, as who's more of like the head of the household, I just kind of went complied. I was also very touch starved at the time and looking for any kind of affection. The only thing that I regretted the, the, the next day was that I helped him cheat behind his uh, fiance's back while she was out of town. And I talked with him about it the next day. And from that, uh, I had a conversation with him about it. And what he told me was, well, he wasn't going to go and tell her about it. And if I told her about it, uh, he would come into my room in the middle of the night and slit my throat. And knowing some of his uh, military background, him previously been in prison, which I didn't know about until after I moved in with him, uh, I didn't put it past him that it was plausible. Uh, also with him being a regular alcoholic and, and drinking often enough. Uh, this put kind of a temperament on how far I was willing to go with other male-bodied people um, for, for quite a while, uh, where I would uh, only allow myself to, to get to a point where I would kiss and cuddle and caress, but I, I held a boundary of like, I wasn't interested in doing any oral or penetration either way. And through that, it has definitely influenced how I, I interact, um, even being that there have been male body people I've wanted to go and play with uh, that I've held back on because of that trauma. And I've, uh, it, it takes work and um, I'd recommend working with a, with a relationship coach like myself or or counselor and a therapist to kind of work through that trauma and resolve it um, to help make it safe again to actually delve into what it is that a part of you seems to go and want. And uh, a part of me is curious and would go for the question of like, it seems that you have engaged in it, but it hasn't really brought you joy and pleasurement. And I'm curious, it would take a deeper conversation to be, what was it that you didn't engage in it? Is it that you're doing it just to please the other person and it wasn't actually an authentic desire for yourself? Is it that something that um, you've been taught you shouldn't like or shouldn't enjoy or that is bad or wrong, you know, because of what uh, your family or religion has, or, you know, parts of society have said that this isn't okay or this is bad or back wrong or something else it's a deeper complex issue uh ultimately what i will go and say though is whatever it is that you desire to go and do is is okay with other consenting people and you know there are times for me that what is an authentic desire is i just want to go and suck on a big fat cock and that's okay with someone who is willing to go and present their cock and have me suck on it. And I'm allowed to enjoy wanting what I want. So I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Eco. Kanan, um, first and foremost, I want to say something flat out. It is not a requirement of being in the kink community that you have to play with 
both genders or whatever, how many genders you want to say. Do not feel pressured by anyone if it is not your cup of tea, so to speak, that you have to, you know, you have to play with everyone. It is perfectly fine to have a, a preference. Now, the question is, if this is something you want to do, then obviously, okay, fine. And that sounds basically on the, on the message that you're saying, as long as it's something that you are interested in, that's perfectly fine. An example that I will use from my own personal play is I play with both sides. I do, I don't care what, I always say, I don't care what you got between your legs, I will torture it or pleasure it, whatever happens to be the case. Um, I do exclusively date women. I am engaged to a woman. I'm going to marry a woman. I have no desire to uh, date, a, date a male, but that's just because it's, it's a preference. I enjoy it. And by the same token, I, so something that I enjoy and I've talked about on the show in the past is that I, I enjoy chastity play. Um, in fact, you know, spoiler alert, I'm locked up to somebody right now and it's, it's great. I'm loving every minute of it. But that also being said, I sometimes use it when I am doing scenes with women in particular, because let's just say I don't want to be distracted during the scene. I want to focus on whatever it is we're doing and my throbbing erection isn't going to help anyone because that is not going to get satisfied during that particular scene. That's not the dynamic I have with that individual. And, and call it a quirk of penis, whatever. If you can't get erect, your body stops being horny. It's kind of a weird thing that your body goes, oh, nope, we're done. I need that sometimes when I play with women because I don't want to be distracted by what's going on. With men, I don't usually need that because it's, again, I'm not sexually attracted to those people and that's perfectly fine. It's not a big deal. I can still torture them and uh, in some cases go, well, I'm glad it's not my dick that I'm torturing right right now. You know, it's, it's somebody else's. And I have had some great experiences with, with some men. I have, call it weird, but I've had makeout sessions with other men and it's perfectly fine. I, um, if anybody know who's, know who, yeah. If anyone knows who John Pendle is, he's a presenter from the UK. I have had a makeout session with him and his husband before, and yet I hear I say I'm not attracted to men because I'm enjoying the sensation that I'm giving to the person. A lot of the types of play that I do more involve what I'm getting back more than what I'm giving. I don't like to flog people, as an example. Hitting, I hate it. I don't like to do it. But you see me flogging all the time, and you wonder, well, what, why on earth are you doing if you don't enjoy it? That first hit, I admit, oh, I don't, I'm not a fan. But the minute I hear the groan and the sigh and just the, the love coming back, that's what that's like, oh, I can do that again. Oh, give and ye shall receive as the whole, you know, uh, as the old thing goes. So that's what I would say to you more than anything. It's perfectly fine. Again, we'll preface this again by saying what I said at the beginning. It's perfectly fine if you don't want to play with men and you're not sexually attracted to men. That's fine. It's everybody's wired differently. Do what you need to. But if you want to play with men, maybe you're not getting the the typical sexual dimorphic thing of you're getting the, the, the sexual energy back. Instead, you're just getting energy back. So when I take my violet wand and I shock a guy's dick at full power and he screams in agony and I, a smile comes on my face and I'm just so happy about it, it's not because it's his dick and I'm sexually attracted to it. It's because I'm enjoying what I'm doing and what I'm getting back from that individual. Eco, did you have something to add? 
Yeah, one of the things that I'll also add into this is that not all people include sex in their kink play. And while a lot of people think of this lifestyle as being purely sexual, uh, there are different dynamics and different ways to be in the BDSM lifestyle that have nothing to do with actual um, sex or with penetration or have anything to do with genitals. Uh, as an example, there is a queer um, woman who I'm dating right now where uh, she and I got together because she just wanted to be spanked. That, that is her thing. And for me going, taking my hand and swatting her ass repeatedly, she literally has orgasms from that. Uh, though she's also very clearly had a, a boundary in place and let me know that she is not interested in um, being penetrated by male genitalia. And that is okay to actually have that kind of kind of boundary and saying like yes i will go and like i'll flog you or spank you or you know do whatever and you know this is part of the negotiation what do you want what do you like what are you into and you can say that you know sex is off the table or i don't want to do anything with your genitals and that's okay uh it's more about what is it that I'm going to willing to say yes to that I'm going to go and enjoy in what I'm negotiating with you. And what is it that you're willing to say yes to that you'll go and enjoy? And where is that overlap? So we actually have a scene of doing something we both mutually enjoy. It doesn't have to involve genitals. It doesn't have to involve sex or penetration of any, any kind. And you're allowed to have your preferences and say, if you're in a male body, I don't want to play with you that's okay too. You're allowed to, to go and say, I don't want to play with this kind of person for whatever reason. You're allowed to have limits. You're allowed to have boundaries. You're allowed to say, no, I don't want this. Yeah. I would say if, if you're able to try it, uh, it's one of the things that when I, uh, when, I, uh, when I counsel couples and whatnot, especially ones that we have one kinkster and one not, or they want to try something that the other partner doesn't want to. It's like, well, you know, try it. You might like it. You might hate it and never want to do it again. But then at least you won't be sitting there pining, wondering what on earth it could have been. I want to try furry sex, but my partner's not into it. Well, I tried it and it was just tails and fur everywhere. It wasn't great. Okay, great. Now, now you've, you've, you've satisfied that. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So yeah, I would just say, give it, you know, give it a try or, you know, I guess people look the same from behind most of the time. So if you want to strap them to a cross and beat a man versus beat a woman, I mean, they, I mean, you know, I could talk in a high pitched voice if I have to, uh, you know, you, you could make them do that or wear a wig. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of ways you can get around it, but do not feel pressured just because everybody else is doing it. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. And the other thing that I noted in that question is like uh, so many what I assume are straight identifying male tops. And I, I, I want to point out that that is an, an assumption. And when it comes to um, gender identity and sexual expression, uh, what we go and look like and just perceive on the outside does not mean that they actually identify in that particular way. You know, they they may they may be straight, they they may not, and it depends upon the 
whatever negotiation that you want to to go and actually have and uh the thing that i would invite you uh kanan to consider for yourself in looking at this is what is it about those scenes that you have done in the past that you actually didn't enjoy um what was it that you didn't like and where are, are perhaps limits and boundaries that you want to put around that what would have made it more enjoyable for you and yeah there are a lot of different ways that that could go to go and i encourage you to be authentic to yourself first and foremost that's the most important thing yeah well kanan i i hope that that helps and hopefully you can try it or not but i hope you know i i, I wish you luck in your kink career and again don't feel pressured if you want to you want to if you don't you don't it, that's the great thing about kink you get to choose what you get to do so you get to choose your your gender you get to choose your your role in the community you get to choose what types of play so there's lots of choice and don't feel obligated that to to do something you're not comfortable with and you're allowed to change your mind you can be like i'm trying this out and i don't know um, one of the things if, if you're newer to the bdsm scene it is not to be worried about particular labels just try things out experiment um and give things a shot and you're allowed to change your mind and evolve who you are over time it's not like well i've checked this box so now i have to be that all the time in this community no you, you can change it up to a different thing every single time you can even change it up in the middle just let people know you're changing up in the middle and negotiate that change in the middle. Yeah, people change and evolve. I came in as a sub and thought that was what my role was. And um, and then I tried being a top for a while and realized I kind of missed the sub part. So then it's like, is there, somebody, is, there, is there something for a weirdo like me that wants to do both? Oh, this thing called Switch. Great. Yep. So I've kind of embraced that. So there you go. All right. Well, Kanan, uh, hopefully that helps you. And if you've got any feedback about it, again, podcast at kinkinthechain.com. We would love to answer your, well, hear feedback for you or answer any questions from anyone. But that does conclude our viewer questions. So thank you very much to everybody who wrote in. And, uh, well, let's uh, let's get on out of here. Well, Eco, it's been a pleasure having you today. I really enjoyed hearing your stories and talking to you and you helping us answer all of our viewer questions. I'm sure they greatly appreciated it. One more time, could you tell us where they could find you on the internet? Sure. The, the easiest places to go and find me are enlightenedconsent.net for my one-on-one -on -one coaching and enlightenedconsent.org to see more about my nonprofit. Awesome. And I'll have links to the description in the description, as I said, my listeners. And as always, stay kinky, my friends. Check us out on the web, the web. at kinkinthechain.com. Follow us on Twitter at kinkchainshow. We don't bite unless you ask nice. Have feedback or want to submit a question for a future show? Send your emails to podcast at kinkinthechain.com.